The views expressed on the following broadcasts do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT, Take 12 Radio, or our affiliates. The opinions on this show should not be considered as medical, psychological, or professional advice and are those of the host, co-host, and guest. Take 12 Radio and KHLT Recovery Broadcasting are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. the Monty Man once again, as always, here at Take 12 Recovery Radio and KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. And as is typical, when we have five Mondays in the month, we usually have a special guest on or we play something from the best of Take 12 Recovery Radio. And this just happens to be our interview from 2015 with uh, my friend, our friend, Sandra W., uh, affectionately referred to as Sandy by most, uh, from the Pacific Northwest, right here in our backyard. Uh, also joining us in the studio on that day is my sponsor, Bruce. Now, Bruce has uh, since gone on to be with the Lord. He, he passed away uh, not too long back. We miss him deeply, but we have lots of recordings with his voice and his insight on them. But he's in the studio with myself as Sandy shares her uh, a story of experience, strength, and hope. And then when that's over, we'll come back with a closing song from recovery recording artist, Mike O'Brien. So without further ado, here is Sandy W. So Sandy, tell us what was going on. I mean, you're sitting here today with a big smile on your face. <laughs> I've known you for a long time, um, but I didn't know you back when things weren't going so well. That's a good thing. <laughs> what was going on? Tell us Tell us what, what, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. Okay, well, let, let me start out with... Uh... My name is Sandy Finley Campbell Thompson Graves Hurt Kelly Weir. Wow. And I would have been a good Al Anon, but those husbands made me drink too much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is something that's always amazed me about Alcoholics Anonymous. Because they say we're not a glum lot. Yeah. And. Some of the things that we laugh at just probably wouldn't be too funny to some people. And having that many husbands isn't really too funny. Um, I think it is. <laughs> now, that last one, that Weir, uh, he's, he's been with me for 18 years this December. And wow, he's a keeper. He's a keeper, and yeah. he has a program, and he has a God, and that's why we're still together. Hi, Joe. Hi, Joe. <laughs> um, what it was like? Well, I was a an only child in a little town in Marysville, California, 
And my wow. father had one goal, and that was to have one child and not spoil her. And uh, my mom was the most wonderful person in the world. Mar- she, Marysville, is that in the mountains? By Sacramento. Okay, so, okay. yeah. Okay, I know. Okay, I know. Yeah. yeah. Um, she was the best. I mean, she was hugs and kisses, and yeah. I knew she loved me, but my father was a... I, I can't swear on this show, can I? I won't swear. Okay. Anyway. But he was. He was yeah. <laughs> undemonstrative, uh, never had anything good to say, and I was never good enough. Mm. And we lived, when I got a little bit, and they drank. Um, I have to throw that in. And it was, uh, they were middle class, very intelligent. My dad was a resident engineer for the state. My mom wound up being a placement officer for the law school in Davis. But they drank, and it always was a problem. Christmas, one of them would come home late from a Christmas party at work, and Mm -hmm. it would hit the fan, and sometimes Mom and I would wind up in a motel, and it was just not good. Mm. So I didn't want to do that. Was he physically abusive? Yeah. And... uh, and they stayed together for a long time. But anyway, mm. that's what alcohol does to women, too. So uh, high school, I was never, I couldn't be a part of. I mean, I ran kind of with the in crowd, but I was allowed to go one out one night a week. And while the kids in town were running around doing all the fun stuff, I was home digging post holes and irrigating. and And I hated it. I just hated it. And so when I was around those friends, I never felt good enough. Now, you can't see it, listeners, but Bruce is handing Sandy a pillow. I don't know why. Oh, for her back. Yeah, she her, she looked like her back was bugged. Oh, I thought he was going to tell me. Oh, never mind. Uh, yeah, I was thinking. <laughs> it's like crying me yeah, a one, river. One, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was just on the other night, you know, and there was a pillow scene in there where he <laughs> snuffed, Put it over snuffed her face. out the, the, the Native American guy. <laughs> Anyway, okay. go ahead. Thank you, Bruce. Thanks, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, let me tell you about my first drunk. I was in high school. My parents were, my father was very, very strict. Mm. And uh, I had a girlfriend whose son, or her, whose boyfriend worked for Rayleigh's or some big store, and they right. had a Christmas party. And he had a brother that was home from the, uh, army and it was a blind date and they picked us up at her house in town i lived way out in the country and we went to this party and of course it was at a banquet thing in a restaurant and i must have been what 17 but back way way back in those days i was sashaying right up to the bar and getting drinks from the bartender and flirting with the old bald men and Ticking off their wives and dancing <laughs> and and guzzling screwdrivers. Now, I do. In fact, I could probably swear on a Bible that not once from that day forward did I ever have one drink, mm-hmm. ever. My father told me I could probably drink more if I'd learn how to sip. Um, I had a policeman tell me one time, "I think you have a drinking problem." Well, more than one time. Um, but sipping was not in my, my vocabulary. Mm. Anyway, this poor goofus that took me out that night, um, supposedly took me home. I 
came to the next morning in my own bed in my house. Couldn't find my purse and could not remember anything except drinking a lot of water and seeing some kind of a screen in front of my face. And that's a bad feeling. Right. Which I had. Losing time like that, yeah. Blacking out. Yeah. Many, many times. And I woke up in some pretty strange places. But anyway, I didn't have my purse. Finally, this guy called and he said, I just want to make sure you're all right. And I said, well, where's my purse? He said, you threw it in that old Buick in the front yard and said you were going to sleep in the car. And I said, we don't have a Buick. And he said, well, I got you up to the front door, but I about broke my neck on those stairs. And I said, well, you don't have any stairs. Where did you take me? And he says, I don't know, some old farmhouse out in the country. Oh, no. Um, so my girlfriend called that afternoon and the whole time I was just sick. What did I, well, I was sick because I drank too much, but I was sick because of not knowing what happened. Yeah. It just happened that this was her aunt and uncle's house and they finally found my purse the next morning. But that night, (laughs) (laughs) and this is where the humor comes in. Here's this old guy and his wife upstairs in their bedroom, sleeping good and sound and this Young girl walks up, flips on the bedroom light, and starts taking her clothes off. And that was me. Oh, my word. I was going to go to bed. And I was in a blackout, but I have been told many times that I can talk, function, like I'm stone sober. But I don't remember anything. And they didn't know what to do, and I wouldn't give them my name, so they called the police. Back in the day... Who knows what I told the cops, but they drove me to my house and let me out of the car, and my mom and dad never found out about that. Wow. But the old guy got a thrill. (laughs) Get out of here, honey. Um, Look, Martha, we have company. (laughs) And, you know, um, that's been the – that was the story of my drinking career. Um, I'm going to keep this short. You were a blackout drinker? Oh, always. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And then I found drugs, and I thought that would help me so I could keep drinking what I drank. Right. But it just made me a wired wired blackout drinker. drinker, Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, So, you know, as time went on, my drinking stayed the same, and I went through divorce, and actually I had a baby that, I had to give up for adoption my first year of college, and that was, you know, the guilt and remorse started piling up, and it just kept piling. Um, I had two beautiful boys, and I kept moving around. I divorced, I don't know how many of those husbands in that length right. of time, and took the kids to Sacramento, and I was a daily drinker. I held a job, but I started getting DUIs and, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah. And my ex-husband finally came to me, and he convinced me in a moment of clarity that what I was doing with those kids was bad. And he took them. And he had insurance. He had blah, blah, blah. But that was the end as far as, you know, and I start getting choked up about that because that was when it just didn't matter anymore. Yeah. You know, my kids were gone. I was a lousy person, a lousy mother. And I just went into the alcohol and the drugs with a vengeance. And I moved to Reno, and uh, that was good for me. I mean, you didn't have to stop. 
I got a job oh, as a right. bar- bartender, and I, I drank while I was bartending, and I drank the rest of the hours that I wasn't. I ran with a bunch of uh, drug dealers that were getting shot right and left and killed, and um, came back to Sacramento. And through this time, I just kept getting arrested, you know, possession, yeah. possession for sales, DUIs. And, of course, I never did what was the right thing. I mean, I would drive up to my probation officer in a pink NAS Rambler with no driver's license, and he'd walk out the door and go, what the hell are you doing? Wow. You know, I had no – I just didn't care. And um, there were two things that changed me. One, I called my church walk. I came back to Oregon, thought I would – or I came to Oregon, thought I would start over. Wasn't going to drink, wasn't going to use. And within probably 40, 50 days of being here, I was back in jail. So you were doing the typical geographical yeah. move. Oh, all over the place. Yeah. Different men, different town, different whatever. And it didn't take long, and I was arrested again. And um, I actually went through the first inmate recovery program they had at the Lynn County Jail. And that got that little bit of... Mm-hmm. They brought in AA meetings, so I got a touch of that and a touch of recovery. Was that your first experience uh, with an AA meeting? I had been ordered to go many times, yeah, and I think I maybe went twice and sat through long enough to get a slip signed and slunk out the door. Sure, right? sure, yeah. But this was clean and sober in the you know in right, the jail, right? And these people were happy. It was just strange. Anyway, I got. Out of jail, and um, this is my church walk story, and I told it on my 24th birthday a couple Sundays ago. Yeah, I was going to say, which you celebrated two weeks ago. Right. 24 years, yeah. And I'm getting tears in my eyes now, and it got me at that birthday meeting because I had been up for three or four days, and and I was a beauty. I was a beauty. (laughs) I I had on a real short skirt and a blouse down to here, no bra, a leopard vest fur thing, and my hair had been kind of pushed back into place for three days, and my false eyelashes were flipping out on the ends. <laughs> and, you know, the makeup had been piled on and piled on and piled on. Sounds like a drunk Gypsy Rose Lee. Yeah. Yeah. And runs in my pantyhose, and I, and I always wore spike heels, which I lost all the time. I always yeah. lost my shoes. Anyway, one of them had a cracked heel or something, so it was kind of hard to walk. And I needed a drink, and everybody was passed out. And it was Sunday morning. And so I decided to walk to Pop's Branding Iron. And it was quite a ways. That's a restaurant, for those who don't aren't from here. Yeah. With a bar that yeah, opens, with a bar. Yeah. With, opens early. So I'm walking along on this beautiful, sunshiny Sunday morning, looking like I looked and feeling like the worst piece of scum in the world mm. and these families were walk driving by me going to church and i don't know how many churches i passed but i think god must have thrown in a couple that weren't even really there because mm. it seemed like just every other block i was going past a church and i was cussing god i it's that incomprehensible demoralization sure i hated myself god could not love me I was a piece of dirt on the mm-hmm. ground, 
And you would think that feeling that would have been my bottom, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It just, I don't know, I guess maybe for me, the worse I felt, the the worse I got, if you understand what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, sure. The more booze, the more drugs. Yeah. Felt worse, more booze, more drugs. Just piling it on, yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm going to make this short. The last time I was in jail, um, one of the gals in there said, the next time I get arrested, I'm going to not have a public defender. That's the day the light went on for me. Really? I thought, what? You just keep doing it and keep saying the next time? It's got to stop. And I came out. And I started going to AA meetings. And because of certain people in those rooms, Marv was one of them, mm-hmm. uh, Norma Rose, I, I can't remember all of them. They would sit there and say, just let us love you until you can love yourself. You're one of God's kids. You have to forgive yourself first. And the process began. Which really resonated with you because you didn't love yourself. Oh. It, what was that like to hear that and, and, and think, well, I don't love myself? Oh, it was horrible. Yeah. In fact, I've said in meetings before, every time somebody said the name of God right. in a meeting for a long time, my skin crawled mm. because I wasn't good enough for God to even look at me. Right. You know? And little miracles kept happening. Yeah. Yeah, I went back out once, walked into a bar that I'd been in every night for years. Nobody even noticed I was gone. But AA people kept calling me. (laughs) And they were everywhere. I'd go in a store and they were there, you know? Yeah. I'd be deciding between a bag of potato chips or to go over to the beer and wine aisle. And a card would fall out of a magazine. And one of those God cards. Oh, wow. You know? Um, and so I had a sponsor that was absolutely the best. And she pounded into me that I was one of God's kids. Mm. And that I wasn't bad. I was sick. Mm. And that God forgave me for every single thing I did wrong. And once I did that fourth step and got it all out of me, and ask God to forgive me for all of those things. Um, it wasn't like a light bulb. It was like a sunrise, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, just beautiful. And um, did you did you see the fact, Sandy, that once you took the fourth step, and that you went with that, and that you were Excuse forgiven, me. that you're. Your heart was different somehow. Oh, it wasn't just my heart. It was every single molecule was full of gratitude. And one of the things that I did do, I mean, we did the third step on my knees, but I had been going to a little church in North Albany, and I chose for my third step to be rebaptized. I was baptized when I was a small kid. Uh-huh. But... Uh, that was part of your turning your will in life over right. the care of God was to get rebaptized. And some of the wow. people from the program were there, and my sponsor was there. Oh, how special. And it was a very, very, very special thing. But um, I don't know. I need to wrap this up. But no, you're I, fine. I, uh, 
sometimes it's very hard for me to remember what I was like. And sometimes I get these flashes of memories of horrible, horrendous things that I did when I was out there. And I get that icky feeling, you know, like, oh, my God, how did I do that? But right behind that is everything I've learned. And I know that I need to forgive myself, get that out of my mind, and think about the wonderful things that are happening to me today. You know, I'm retired now. I'm able for once in my life to start working with people. And uh, and I thank God every single day for the people that held me up when I couldn't hold myself up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I looked the same way when I came into AA as I did that day I was walking down that street. I was a mess. Mm-hmm. And it didn't mm-hmm. matter to mm-hmm. anybody, especially to God. I mean, he knew what I... What I'd been through, and I, I don't know. It's it's hard for me sometimes to put stuff into words, but uh, it's been a miracle, and it's been quite a ride. I mean, I've jumped out of airplanes. I went to New York. I've done these things that all I did before was sit inside a dark bar and say, "One of these days, hmm. you know, yeah, I, I'm going to do this. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go to a movie." That's yeah, yeah. how bad it was. Yeah. I mean, I didn't do anything except wow. sit in the black, dark bars. Yeah. yeah. So um, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. God did it for me. Let me, let me ask you, when, when you started this with your sponsor, when you started this step work process, mm-hmm. um, and, and you talked about being rebaptized at your third step, um, but was there a, a particular moment in that process more than any other that God became really real to you and that you really understood that he did love you unconditionally was was there a particular step or no when it when it happened for me is when i was on my knees doing the third step prayer holding her hand that's when it happened and i just shook i just shook yeah. <laughs> and, wow and it was um i had a lot of i blamed my dad i blamed Everybody yeah. for everything. A lot I of resentments. A lot yeah. of resentments, a lot of blame, and a lot of guilt and a lot of remorse. And that's when that just was gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still had a lot of work to do on myself because yeah. I wasn't fixed. But all of that dissipated to the point where I could start working on myself. And I was lucky. In fact, it was Marv's ex-wife that was my sponsor. Oh, wow. I, I uh, actually went through the 12 steps and knew there was something wrong and went back to step three and did that, and that's when that thing took place mm-hmm. in my life. And it was, I, I believe at the time, I asked God into my life as my Lord and my Savior, mm-hmm. and uh, my life got flipped over. Oh, it's yeah, yeah. Well, and it's interesting because there's a lot of people running around. God saved them, but He's not their Lord. You know, He's not. You know, third step says we turned our will and our life over to the care of God. So, so if we do that, that means our life's no longer ours, right? And so He's not just one who saves us, but He's also now in charge. 
but it's real easy to grab the reins every once in a while. It is, isn't it? Yes, it is. Isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, and so when you do grab the reins these days, do, do, do you get some interesting lessons along the way? <laughs> like Sandy, I told you that was probably not a good idea. <laughs> I was explaining this to one of the little gals out at the um, kids' jail, whatever it's called. I was telling her God gave us free will. She wrote out her first step. Uh-huh. She said, God gave us free will. You can go to the right, to the left, or straight ahead. And you know, if you pray and put God in charge of your life, and you start going to the right, and you should be going to the left, the way I know is I actually get a sick feeling in my stomach, just mm. kind of almost a little bit nauseated. Mm-hmm. And it's like he's tapping on my shoulder going, stupid. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I told her, I said, you'll know, you know, because basically you're good and you're God's kid and he's in charge. And if you start going off the path, you're going to feel it. Mm. And I mm. do. I, I think, and, and I've experienced that too, to, to this day, even on silly issues. Yeah. Uh, which I, some people might think were ridiculous and insignificant, you know, like, should I go home this way or should I go home this way from church? You know, oh, I'll go this way. And then thinking, you know what? This doesn't feel right. And I'll turn around and go the other way. And then something will happen. Like there was an accident on that road or something. You yeah. know what I mean? Something went. But, and I think, and correct, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that comes from actually having a relationship with the living God and his spirit living in us. And now... We we now recovery is and Bruce and I were talking about this earlier. Recovery isn't about powerlessness anymore. Now it's about power because you have what when you when you receive God into your life and you give turn your will and your life over to Him, even if you don't understand Him completely, even if you don't you're not you don't have to be a theologian or any that kind of stuff, or even go to church, but you turn your will and your life over to the care of God and you ask Him into your life, and the Spirit of God comes to live within you. It doesn't set well. We don't. If I may use the term, we don't sin very well anymore. No. <laughs> you know, we got away with stuff before and it didn't even bother us. Now we pull that kind of stuff. If you've got God's spirit living in you, you're going to know. What Sandy's talking about is very hard to live with. Uh, that happened with me with Pete. And when I refused and didn't want to have anything to do with him, this feeling in my stomach appeared. And it stayed there until I made my amends. Yeah. I mean, it stayed there. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And thank God for that, though, right? Oh, I know. Because I'm still not that smart. You know, there are times when I don't know what I'm doing or whether I should do it or not. Right. And I really would like it if God would just slap me up alongside the head and tell me. (laughs) Out loud, you know. But instead, you have to get quiet and you have to... Listen, I, I heard uh, I heard something the other day was we allow our circumstances to create our idea of God instead of God allowing God to create our idea of our circumstances. You know what I mean? We, we, we tend to think, OK, well, this is how I see God based on my circumstances and let instead of letting God help us see our circumstances differently. And, and and a lot of people will do that. They they will form an opinion about God based on their feelings, based on the happenings going on around them. That's why I don't like that word happy because that's what it means. Happenings going on around you. I want more than that, right? I I, I don't. 
because I'm not always going to be happy. But I can have that serenity knowing that God has got my back because he's helping me to to look at my circumstances differently instead of allowing my circumstances to define him. Right? Right. And when you were walking by those churches and you were getting mad, you were mad at you, you were mad at God, I mean, your circumstances were defining God instead of the other way around. Oh, yeah. yeah. What, what's the, the power in this? Sandy told a beautiful story about what happened to her and how these circumstances and her father not giving her the love that she wanted and... You know, and you drink, and then you remorse, and then you hmm. drink on top of that, and it it just seems to pile on. Yeah. Well, our circumstances no longer have anything to do with our drinking. Now you know them circumstances were right there, and they helped a lot. I don't. We can argue whether they were justified or rationalized yeah. or right. what they were, but today. Circumstances have nothing to do with it. Okay. That's true. And that's the coolest right. thing in the world right. to be free. Isn't yeah. it? For the oh. first time in our lives. I know. It's <laughs> awesome. And that's what they meant in the book, in the big book, when they kept using the term recovered. Yeah. Because I have recovered. I mean, I, I'm still in the game, but I recovered. You know, with God's help, the ball's been recovered. Right. Doesn't mean I'm not, out, not still in the game. But still that, an alcoholic, still yeah, an addict, but yeah, I am recovered from the obsession. That's yeah, right. there, there that's it is. exactly what you're recovered from. Yeah, the obsession's been removed. Mm-hmm. Oh, geez. Yeah. Anyway. That's amazing. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, um, during the, the parade, uh, the Veterans Day parade the other day, um, I was watching the motorcycles. They're always the very first ones, you know, and there's like no end to them. And um, I saw some victory motorcycles. Oh. I, I, I don't think I ever really looked close. Those things are cool. Oh, gosh. Sandy's husband, Joe, has a victory <laughs> motorcycle. <laughs> and he's still paying it off, or she's paying it off. And, and, oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> oh, no, he's paying it off. Uh, I thought, what a cool. They are really, really pretty. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, Joe's is red. Joe's is red. Yes, mm-hmm. it's it's a red one. But but you know your relationship with Joe. It's been a long time now. Um, oh, um, you're you know you, you and you're it's working gonna, and it's going to last a lot longer because Joe has to pay that off. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you're working. You're working with people. You're you're going out to the juvenile facility and, and talking to these gals and and, and stuff. The lifers in prison too. I go to the prison. Does, does that is is that a combination of bittersweet, sweet? You know, breaks oh. your heart, but is also very healing and therapeutic for you. It's healing and therapeutic, but it is so heartbreaking. I mean, yeah. one of the gals that was coming to our Wednesday meeting escaped. Mm. Two gals, but only one of them did Made I know. It. Yeah. And she was actually in the pre-release stage. She'd gotten her high school diploma. She was all was going good. Right. Now she's looking at five years. Uh, so, I mean, I was forty. I was forty-five years old, I think, when I came in into Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you can't take my God and my program and stuff it down somebody's throat right. and make them swallow it and live it is is hard. 
And they're so young. Because you want you want to do that, but oh, yeah. then again, they'll just throw up if you yeah or bite yeah. my hand off, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably what they do. They're pretty tough cookies, but <laughs> but it is. It's very. If I can just reach one, sure. in my lifetime, it will be worth it. Okay, so so what it's like today is you're doing that stuff. So share with the listeners. We got about five minutes left. Share with the listeners. You know, this is. And I'm not asking Sandy to do this because because she's boastful at all. But I want the listeners to know what you're doing. You you come in from Sio, which is a few miles out of town, mm-hmm. um, and with gas prices as they are today, it's not a short trip when you look at the gas prices. But you come in a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us what you do you, exactly. Well, what do I do? Let's see, once a month I go to the OSP to the prison, Oregon State Pen. Yep. Uh huh. With the lifer guys there, and that's one of the most wonderful meetings. That's the oldest AA meeting in, what do you call it, without stopping, in any prison anywhere. Oh, is it really? Yes, it is. Okay. And I'm not sure if it's the oldest Consecutive, yeah. Yeah, consecutive. If it's the oldest AA, it's just a little bit older than we are at Group 1. Anyway, I go there. um, I do a big book study at uh, Oak Creek. For the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, then Sunday's usually my day for a Sunday meeting, and then I go visit the little gal that I'm sponsoring. She did uh-huh. her first step with me yesterday. Mm-hmm. I got a lady that I drive around on Friday that doesn't drive, and I do my neighbor's laundry, and I had a garden, and I've started an internet business. Um, and I cook, yeah. I eat. Yeah. And I pray a lot. What about yeah. Take 12? Oh, and I come in here. Yeah, you co-host with, the show with yeah. us? With us? I was really nervous about that because you guys are so, you're so spiritual. Oh, please. <laughs> and, the, and the only reason I came back was because I beat him on a, on a trivia a trivia question about the Bible. Well, yeah. Let me tell you, I'm no more spiritual than this piece of paper here. Without, in, in the beginning. Without God. <laughs> uh, see, he remembers. <laughs> I said, okay, I can do this. <laughs> um, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm tickled to death that you that you have joined us here at Take World Radio. I really am. And uh, and I was telling Sandy um, off the air that we, we've got several emails um, complimenting uh, the show because of our new co-host and, and I just you know if you'd like to send Sandy a note uh, you can email her here at take twelve radio at comcast. No, they can't net. do that. Yes, they, they can. They can. <laughs> I mean, they can. Don't listen to Bruce because see Bruce ain't nothing but a. That's all he is, crying all the time. And it's T-A-K-E, the number 12, radio at Comcast.net. If you'd like to drop her line and, and, and share um, your thoughts on, on the show today. Uh, it's, it's Sandy, you you had mentioned uh, Group 1. That That's the, the largest Alcoholics Anonymous meeting in Lynn County. Um, and it's been going, it's actually older than the traditions are. The traditions were written sometime after Group One was established. Yeah, it's nineteen forty. Yeah, five something. or something like that. Way back there. Yeah, a yeah, little bit older yeah. than me. Right, right. Not much. Yeah, and you know, for the for as small a county as it, well, actually, it's it's a pretty big county if you go out towards the desert. It goes pretty far, yeah. 
But as far as population-wise goes, where the central population of Lynn County is, um, there are more AA meetings in this little piece of land than in some places in major metropolitan cities. It blows my mind how many there are. Yep, and if you don't like one, you can always find another one. There's tons of them. Tons of them. There's tons of them around. Bruce, you want to ask... Sandy, any questions or make any closing comments here? No, Don't know, pick on me. I know Sandy and Joe pretty well, and uh, I've heard her story several times. And it always, I don't know what to say, surprises me of what she went through. And now, mm-hmm. Tim, I heard of something this time about step three and how this thing took place at that point. And I think it was because Sandy was the kind of a person that had been drugged down the street long enough to where she didn't have much skin left. <laughs> right. And yeah. so it was, uh, uh, you know, I think she's seen the importance of it long before a man like me did. And it's not to say that that's how God uses us. Right. You know, with you, your experience is your experience and somebody else is going to have that and right me somebody is going to be defiant or something and stick through and i'm going to be able to help them miracles yeah every day just think about that sandy for the first time in our life we're equipped to where god has taken our worst defect and made it our greatest asset yes yeah yeah (laughs) hard to even say so, because we're this show is not uh, directly affiliated with any particular twelve step program, and uh, there are certain uh, liberties that we can take on this show. I'm going to ask you a very personal question because it is a very personal question, but I think it ought never be private. Who is your higher power? Jesus. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I, I know that that your faith in Him runs deep. I mean, look what He's done for you. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? And, and I always say, yes, it's a very private thing, but it should never, I mean, it's very personal, but it should never be so private that we can't share that, particularly oh, if no. somebody, somebody, yeah. now there may be appropriate times, you got to use wisdom, right? Right. Um, but boy, when you're called on to be specific, it's okay to be specific. That's correct. And it's your story. Mm-hmm. Right? Your I'm sticking to it. There you go. Well, there you have it, my friends. Thank you, Sandy, uh, for allowing us to interview you and have you share your experience, strength, and hope right here at the world's original Recovery Talk and positive music radio station, Take 12 Recovery Radio. Listen, folks, you can subscribe to all of our shows. Simply go to Take12Radio.com and subscribe on any of the major podcasting platforms, YouTube or Podomatic, where you can download our shows for fun and for free. All right. Next up is our new friend, Mike O'Brien, recovery recording artist, with his song, Change My Mind. Hanging on the wall Rearrange the furniture 
just get rid of it all It's time to change my mind It's time to change my mind Good time to change my mind About it all Thank you, Michael. Listen, you can get more of his music at MikeO'Brien.com. Again, a special thank you to our guest, Sandra W. And, of course, remembering always my sponsor, Bruce H. Uh, that's his laugh, by the way, at the end of every show. That's Bruce's laugh. We just, we've kind of immortalized that uh, because those of us who knew him, well, we knew of his humor and his his laughter and his joy that he had because of the wonderful things that God had done in his life through the 12-step process and the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. All right, until our next broadcast, this is the Monty Man, and I am wishing God's perfect serenity for you. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. This is a place.